You're listening to The Wrong Station Pledge Drive. The Wrong Station is only possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a subscriber today by visiting patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You'll receive access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes discussions, our new book club, and so much more. Today, The Wrong Station is proud to present The Sword by Jacob Duarte Spiel. No doubt about it, the recycling was heavier than usual that day. Jeffries wasn't sure how that could be possible. He hadn't thrown anything away the previous night. The heavy fog that sometimes crept ghost-like through the suburb had made going out an unenviable choice. Instead, Jeffries and his wife had stayed indoors and enjoyed a medium-sized drink as they both watched the clouds thicken around their home. Jeffries. That's what everyone called him, even though his first name was Bartholomew. Jeffries didn't mind. Being known by your last name had a sort of romantic military quality. But, in any case, the recycling was indeed heavier. Jeffries stopped rolling the bin and took a quick peek inside, hoping none of his cul-de-sac neighbors were watching him dig through his own trash. And resting on top of an egg carton and three plastic takeout containers was a sword. Jeffries closed the lid, opened the lid. The sword was still there, and what's more, Jeffries could now see that the blade was coated in slick, dark blood. Yep, that's a sword, all right, said Jeffries' neighbor, Nylander, holding it up to his eye as if measuring it for straightness. Nylander worked for the Maritime Museum in Halifax. He was a marketing director, not a weapons expert, but marketing for a museum meant he must know more about swords than Jeffries, who was a marketing director for a bank. Hmm. Did you notice it's covered in blood? said Nylander. Oh, yeah, said Jeffries. Nylander turned the blade over in his hands. You know, he said, this is probably one of those, uh, whatchamacallits, those cavalry swords the Brits used back when they were first settling this part of Nova Scotia. But how did it end up here? asked Jeffries. Well, you know, this region has a bit of history, said Nylander, taking a few swings with the sword. There were these, uh, what you call them? Acadians, French folks who lived hereabouts. They didn't want to give up the land to the British, so the Brits had to resort to violence to deport them all. Eleven thousand souls ripped from the earth, and half of those wound up dead of disease and whatnot. And around the same time, the British governor of Nova Scotia was offering money for Micmac scalps. A lot of bloody business. It's all in the past now, of course. Oh, well, I see, said Jeffries. But, uh... I, I meant how to end up in my recycling. Oh, said Nylander. Nylander and Jeffries made a plan. It was a good plan, thought Jeffries. They would put the sword back in the recycling, leaving the hilt just a bit uncovered. Their security cameras were pointed at the alley to keep watch. Nylander had checked online, and the sword was indeed used by British cavalry officers in the 1700s. They believed some local high school students must have found it. After all, new house foundations were being dug up every single day at the edges of the suburb. Who knew what was buried that deep? Anyway, the teens must have hurt themselves by accident. That would have explained the blood and why they would ditch the sword in a recycling bin. The teens would be back, though. Nobody could leave such a prize behind. Each day, when Jeffries left for work, he checked to make sure the sword was still there. 
glistening red in the morning sun. He wished the blood would dry. The following days passed with no events of note, unless you consider the death of several seagulls by BB Gun of note. Of course, nobody did. Such necessary violence was abundant in this cul-de-sac. Glue traps for mice were common, as were the pesticides and poisons used to beat back other animals that were forced out of the ever-dwindling forest that bordered the suburb. Nobody took pleasure in it. It was just what needed to be done to protect their homes. Six days passed until something happened. A clear, hot day had resolved itself into a clear, hot night. Between the moon, stars, and street lamps, Jeffries didn't even need to switch on the night vision on his security cameras. His wife was working late, so Jeffries heated up some leftovers and ate in front of the TV. The heaviness of the food and smooth-voiced broadcaster on the news were like a blanket over his tired mind. Nylander was certainly watching the live security feed. He could take one night off. A rapid knock woke Jeffries. He didn't know how many hours it had been. He staggered sleepily to the door and opened it. At first, he saw no one. But then, Nylander's face hovered before him. Jeffries, we gotta check the bin! The face disappeared once again. While Jeffries had slept, the fog had once again rolled in. So thick that you couldn't see more than two feet ahead of you. Jeffries threw on his loafers and stepped outside. This is when they'll strike, I'm certain of it, said Nylander's voice from the direction of his alleyway. Ahead, he heard rustling, the clink of bottles, and the squeak of styrofoam. Nylander had already made it to the bin. The sword's gone, said Nylander. Little bastards, where are you? Nylander's muffled footsteps trailed into the fog. Jeffries tried his best to keep up, but he lacked the other man's confidence. The fog made it impossible to judge your surroundings. Jeffries walked slowly, arms outstretched so he wouldn't do something humiliating like walk into a telephone pole. Nylander's voice suddenly echoed around him. Now I got you. Jeffries, come quick, I hear him, he's over. The voice suddenly cut off. Silence sat heavy over the fog. Jeffries ran blindly towards where he thought Nylander's voice had come from, but his feet caught on something and sent him tumbling to the ground. He grasped blindly until his hands closed around something wet. Something metal. Something sharp. The sword. Then, Jeffries heard something. A rhythmic, hollow sound. Almost as if... But no, that couldn't be. Jeffries spun around, trying to see through the cloudy air, but saw nothing. Not even his own hands in front of his face. The sound grew louder. Not knowing what else to do, Jeffries drew the bloody sword and held the shaking point forward. And then... Without warning, there it was. A horse, eighteen hands tall, all corded muscle, and astride it, a rider. The rider was a broad, tall man. He wore bright red coat adorned with shining medals, crisp ribbons, and lightly floral brocade. His riding breeches were as white as new-fallen snow, a perfect complement to his boots, the color of polished obsidian. Atop his head, a tricorn of velvet so soft that to look at it was to feel it. The rider was high in the saddle, and Jeffreys could see that there was an empty scabbard at his hip. But his face... Oh, 
his face. The rider could have worn jewels in his hat, perfumed himself with the finest colognes, woven golden thread through his coat, but nothing could have distracted from that horrid, twisted face. The preservation of the uniform had not extended to the body. The eyes that stared at Jeffreys were black and hollow. The lips rotted and pulled back to reveal teeth the color and texture of scabs. Maggots had burrowed through the cheeks, leaving holes in the parchment-like skin. Jeffreys raised the sword against the apparition. To his surprise, the rider stopped. He said nothing, merely watched, and even though he had no brow to furrow, no lips to sneer, Jeffreys had no trouble understanding the look on the rider's face. It said, You mean to use my own weapon against me? Jeffreys burned bright red. It did seem ridiculous. He lowered the sharp tip and allowed the rider to pass. And as the rider did, he reached down and plucked the hilt from Jeffreys' hand, as if from a child. Jeffreys shuddered at the all-too-real touch of the specter and averted his gaze, choosing instead to follow the long leather strap that extended from the rear of the horse into the fog. And what followed was a horde of people, people of every shape, size, color, and creed. All of them walked with their heads down, their hands tied and connected to that long leather strap. Their ranks seemed to go on forever. Jeffreys watched them pass. Their misery was obvious, but the business simply couldn't be helped. The astral plane wasn't his department. And then he saw Nylander. Nylander, head down, hands bound, walking with the ranks of the dead. Well, that couldn't be right. That surely was a mistake. Jeffreys stepped forward and attempted to untie Nylander's wrists. But his hands passed right through the rope, through Nylander himself, as if both were nothing but fog. Jeffreys could do nothing but watch as this grisly procession slowly made its way out of his cul-de-sac before fading into night. The next morning was recycling day once again. The neighbors chatted idly about the fog of the night before. Of course, Nylander hadn't come home. But then again, Nylander sometimes pulled all-nighters at work. Nylander's wife spoke idly with the family across the street, not yet planning to call the police, but worried enough that she was always checking over her shoulder, always searching for the familiar sight of her husband's sedan taking that final turn onto the cul-de-sac. Jeffreys avoided eye contact as he wheeled his recycling to the curb. What could he say to her? What could he possibly say? He was so preoccupied that it took a moment to realize that, once again, the bin seemed off. No doubt about it. The recycling was heavier than usual that day. Under the pretense of tossing a receipt, Jeffreys lifted the lid. Inside, resting neatly on top of the newspapers, cardboard, and tissue boxes, were Nylander's shoes. Jeffreys closed the lid. There was no sense in saying anything. It was all in the past now.